We're in 1 John chapter 2, verse 24 through 29. Abide in Christ and know the truth. If you would, stand for reading of God's word. Therefore, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true, and is not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. And now little children abide in him, that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Abide in Christ and know the truth. That's going to be our focus today. As you know, the theme of 1 John is that you may know that you have eternal life, that you absolutely are assured that you have eternal life. And he gives us some evidences to, that you can do some introspection. You can examine your life. Are you obeying the commands of God? Do you have love for the brethren? Do you hold fast to sound doctrine? And today you're going to do you practice righteousness. Is that the way that your life is generally conducted? Are you practicing righteousness while you're here? And right out of the gate, the church dealt with false teaching. And John had to deal with the Gnostics who had special knowledge, special insight, special enlightenment. Only the few, only the informed had. They had a thing called docetism, which means to appear, to appear. That they, they, the spirit was everything and the flesh was nothing. And Jesus only appeared to become in the flesh. And that was absolutely wrong because John points out in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 and on, that he saw him, they touched him, they walked with him, they did life with him, they did everything with Jesus. He was here in the flesh. He was here in the flesh. Gnosticism was not the only false teaching that was circulating around that time. The early church dealt with many things, and I think that as the church grows closer to the last days, it's going to circle back to those early heretical teachings. And let me give you some examples here. First of all, you need to realize that every world religion, every cult, every false view has a false view of Jesus Christ. We've said this multiple, multiple times. Islam thinks he's a great prophet. Judaism thinks he's just one of the other messiahs who said they were the messiahs, but was not true. Baha'i says that Jesus is a manifestation of God. Buddhism that he's a spiritual teacher. Hinduism just clumps him in with a whole bunch of other literally thousands and thousands and thousands of Hindu gods, and they say that he is, their top god is Brahman, and then Brahman manifests himself as an avatar. Have you ever heard that movie, an avatar? An avatar comes to earth to enlighten the people on the earth, and Jesus was just one of many avatars that came to earth to enlighten humanity. That's Hinduism. Scientology, that Jesus was a spiritual man. Jehovah's Witness, that he was Michael the Archangel. Mormons think he was the spirit brother of Lucifer. Isn't that a great thing? Satan's strategy for the world is give them a false Jesus, a non-God Jesus, anything, anything, anything but the real Jesus. That is the, that is the goal of the demonic realm. Now, there are some things that permeated the early church that have actually come to fruition more and more in our time. The early church heresies, one of them was Arianism. And Arianism was, uh, was created by a guy named Arius. And Arius said, the Father is God, but Jesus is not God. He's a created being. And guess who took on that role? Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, etc. Then there was something called Sabellianism. 
Sabellianism is what is modern-day modalism, and if you don't know what modalism is, modalism believes that, that God manifests himself in three different ways. Sometimes he's the Father, sometimes he's the Son, sometimes he's the Holy Spirit, but not all three in one. We believe that God is a three-in-one triunity. And then there's something called Socianism, where there's a hierarchy in the Godhead that God the Father is greater than God the Son, who is greater than the Holy Spirit. And we view the Trinity as being co-equal, co-equal, three persons, co-equal, making up our one God. Last week teaching, we talked about be discerning and test. Be discerning and test the spirits. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says this, Test all things, hold fast to what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. 1 John 4.1 says this, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are from God. We have a responsibility as Christians to discern, to discern, know the truth, judge, what, make a distinction, and to test, prove if, prove if something is genuine, prove if something is true. That is our responsibility as Christians. Now, our guide, our plumb line, if I was asking you a question, we were doing a, a Sunday school class, then you would answer it. The plumb line would be the Word of God. It's the Scriptures. That's our plumb line. That's what we compare everything to. So what helps a believer to discern the truth? Well, you use the Word of God, but also John tells us we have an anointing, an anointing of the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit resident within you that speaks to your heart whether something's true or whether something's false. That's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And remember, we have three things that the Holy Spirit does. When you believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within you. He takes up ownership within you. And you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. He resides in you. And then the Holy Spirit can come upon you. Remember in, in John 1, the Spirit will come upon you for power to spread this gospel message throughout the whole world. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and the Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth. He comes upon you for power to accomplish what he's given you to do. And then he's also your paracletos. He is your comforter. He is the one that when you're going through life and everything's falling apart and your heart is broken and you can't take another step, your comforter is with you. And he holds you up. As Donald Barnhouse says, that comforter is the rod of iron up your spine that allows you to stand through any adversity. That's the Holy Spirit. We have an anointing of the Holy Spirit. This week, those who are protected from false teachers' lies and from Satan's lies and schemes are those who abide in Christ. If you want to avoid the deception, you must abide in Christ, abide in the Master, abide in Christ, and know the truth. And if you know the truth, guess what? You will be set Free! Yes, that's right. Good. Good job, class. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for your word. Lord, this word is the truth that a living God gives his people. And I say thank you, Father, for your word. And now may we hear from you today from your word. Put it into our hearts, Lord, what you want us to hear. And as always, as James says, we just don't want to be hearers of the word but doers of what you are teaching us. Teach us today, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Abide and know that you are in Christ. David Guzik has this to say, 
We talked last week about many antichrists coming and many false teachers coming and many false ways coming. David Guzik says this, we protect ourselves against the spirit of antichrist by abiding in the original core Christian message, that which you have heard from the beginning. That which you have heard from the beginning. To not be led down the primrose path of deception, that which you have heard from the beginning. The Apostle Paul says, if you hear any other gospel than what I teach, if you take on any other gospel than what I teach, let you be anathema. Let you be accursed, he says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 9. Ephesians 4.14 warns us to not be tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine or every wind of teaching that we hear. Every wind of teaching. There's this, there's this penchant for something new and exciting. New and exciting. Oh, the Spirit's working here, and the Spirit's working, and it's new and exciting, and let's go chase down that thing. But you know what God says? God to the nation of Israel, who were following false idols and false gods to get the new and the exciting. You know what he said to them? I shared this with you a few weeks ago. Jeremiah 6.16. Thus says the Lord, stand in the, way, stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths where the good way is, and walk in it, nation of Israel. He's telling us that today. Look for the old paths. Look for the true paths and walk in it today, church. Then you will find rest for your souls. Isn't that what you want? Rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. God told his people, and they said, we will not walk in it. You know what the nation of Israel did? They had a little bit of God. They went through all the motions of being a good Jewish follower of God. They went to the temple. They kept the feast, but their feast became meaningless to God. And they went their own way, and they followed the other gods. You cannot mix God with other gods. He will cause you to choose. He will not be in competition with false idols and false gods. We are going to learn today that John through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has emphasized a word over and over and over, and that word is abide. Abide. You don't want to be deceived. You must abide in Christ. Watch what this is. Abide is the word menno, and it means to remain, to reside, stay, live, lodge, tarry, or dwell. It's a fixed state. I'm going to stay in Christ. I'm going to stay in Christ. Menno is used to describe the Holy Spirit coming on Jesus and remaining on him in John 1, 32 and 33. Now, how does Jesus, how, how does Jesus abide Menno in us? Well, it's through his word and through his spirit. The disciples could abide in Christ by being obedient to his word, and it's the same for us today. We abide by being in his word and hearing the Spirit of God. It's kind of twofold. So verse 24 and 25, abide and know. Abide and know eternal life. Isn't that kind of like the most important thing? Eternal life, that you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you get to live with him forever. That's what's most important. It isn't what's going on here on the, on the horizontal. Horizontal is important. We have a, a job to do here. We represent our Lord while we're here. But it's, it's our vertical relationship with God. And the end game is that we live with him forever. That is the end game. Abide and know eternal life, verse 24 and 25. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. Now, there's nothing new. This gospel is not new. What you heard from the beginning. Don't get waylaid by the Gnostics. Don't get waylaid by the Arianisms. 
Don't get waylaid by the cults. What you have heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son. If that word abides in you, that true word, you will, you will abide in the Son and in the Father. You'll be genuine. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. Eternal life. Life forever with him. Know this truth. To thwart the deception, to thwart the indoctrination that we are receiving on a constant basis, we must abide in what we have heard. We must abide in sound doctrine. Now, let me ask you this question. How many times do you hear people say, doctrine? Doctrine? That's not fun. Doctrine's not fun. That's dry. That's boring. That's terrible. Yes, doctrine. Doctrine. People want the glitz, the glamour, the new and exciting. Doctrine, that's dry, that's boring, and that is not true. When the Holy Spirit, hear this, when the Holy Spirit illuminates the Scripture to your heart, to your heart, and He makes it alive, and He makes it real, He speaks to you, and you have an aha moment with God, that's as exciting, and that is as fresh and new and powerful as anything you can imagine. That is truth. That is truth. The Word of God is so rich, so vibrant, so new, no matter how long you study it, no matter how many times you've gone through John or 1 John, you will get something new. You will have an aha moment. You know, I used to save my sermons. I have never gone back because I always want something fresh from God. I always want something fresh. He's always going to speak to me a little bit different. A lot of it has to do with what do the people need at this time. What are we going to emphasize this time? Holy Spirit, where, where do you want me to put the emphasis? Because it's about what he wants, not about making it easier for myself. Abide in the word. If what you have heard, now look, verse 24, if what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, abides in you, that's his word, the promise is this. Watch the promise. You will also abide in the Son and the Father. You are saved. Now, what does abiding mean to me? What does abiding mean to me? Well, abiders don't drift. They keep rowing. And I've harped on this, on this thing with rowing over and over and over. And I want you to watch this guy. He will come up. Now, this is a guy rowing. Now, it doesn't look like he's straining and the current's going against him. Now, I'll tell you, you look up for a picture of somebody rowing against the current. You cannot find one. They're all on the river rowing with the current. But we are rowing against the current of life. Abide and row and keep rowing and don't give up because the moment you take your oars out, where you're going, you're going back to the world, folks. Back to the world. And it's giddy up. It's giddy up. It's not slow. It's not slow. Do not allow the torrential current of the world to pull you back to it. Now, how do we row? How do we, how do we really, how do we play, how does this really play out? How do we row? What I want you to notice, number one is prayer. Look at these guys. These guys are engaged. Every head bowed. This girl's head is bowed. This dude's head is bowed. Everyone is bowed. That is how you row. That is how you don't give up. You seek the living God for power and truth and the way. That is what you do. And the secondly, second thing that you do is that you study. Now watch this. This is a, this is a home church. Now notice how popular this is. These people are right outside the door. And I want you to also notice that everyone is fixed on the boring doctrine. It's so boring. Yeah, 
Well, every eye is fixed on this because this word is life-saving to those who are in persecution. They are, it is life-saving. This is not a boring thing to learn and have the scriptures illuminated to your being. It's powerful. Let nothing pull you back to the world. Nothing. Stay in the word and walk in the power of the spirit. A promise to all abiders and all roars is this, eternal life. Eternal life. And I want to emphasize something to you. Eternal life is promised to those who are born again of the Spirit, who have received Jesus Christ as your Savior. But all humans are eternal. All humans will reside someplace. But the ones that are going to be separated from God and live in where we, what we colloquially call hell, it's actually going to be a lake of fire, are, are never talked about as eternal. They're going to be eternally separated, but eternal life is life with God and its existence for the rest. And I will submit to you today that we have life in this world today when we are connected with our God, and we are simply existing. We are disconnected from him. That is the truth. Jesus said you will have life and have it abundantly. What's life? What's life? It's the energy force. It's the power of your existence. It's the opposite of perishing, and it'll be eternal. And neos, it's forever. Life is satisfaction. God has promised you his joy and his peace if you walk with Jesus. These words I have spoken, that my joy may remain in you and your joy may be full. That you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That's the Lord Jesus, not you, him. He's done it for you. Life is security and enjoyment. Life is found only in God. Life only comes to a person by believing in Jesus Christ. There is no other way. God's arms are wide open, but it is a narrow path that leads to him. A narrow path. Narrow path. All who abide in Christ, folks, have eternal life. And I'll tell you, this is great news. This is good news. This is phenomenal news. And that is a promise that each one of you can claim. I am in Christ, and I have eternal life. Verse 26 and 27. Abide and know this. You will not be deceived. There's a spirit of deception that is in our world today, and it's growing. Remember, it's an antichrist spirit, and it is a growing spirit. And we, we term this, a lot of times people talk, the spirit of the age is called the zeitgeist. And there is a spirit of the age that is permeating our culture and becoming more and more prominent, and more and more people are being sucked into it. Be very careful. Abide and know this, and you will not be deceived. Verse 26, these things I have written to you, notice it's the word, concerning those who try to deceive you. In other words, it's going to happen. Be ready for it. Don't be surprised, okay? But the anointing, oh, that's the charisma. That's the Holy Spirit. When John talks about the anointing, he's talking about the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is in you. Which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't have to have somebody with the gift of teaching teaches you. But you have the Spirit of God in you. You know what truth is. You know, you can hear it, and you can hear when something false comes because you're going, oh, wow, the Spirit of God is not bearing witness to that. He is not bearing witness with that. You do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, that'll be the Spirit, and is true, and is not a lie, and just that it has taught you, you will abide in Him. Let's develop this just a little bit. There will be those who try to deceive you. 
false teachers, false prophets, false information, false everything, promoting a false Jesus with the goal of taking you away from the truth. That is always the goal. So your protection from deception is actually twofold. Your protection from going astray is twofold. First of all, the Holy Spirit protects you. The Holy Spirit protects you. You have anointing, the charisma, the Holy Spirit protects you, and abiding in his word protects you. Just remember that. That's your protection. That is your protection from deception. It's not magic, but it does take a little work because you have to abide in his word to know what he wants you to do. It doesn't come by osmosis. You don't get it by putting your head down and, oh, I got it now. Oh, no, you got to put it in your heart. Not what you did in the fourth grade thinking, I want to pass that math test and maybe I'll go to sleep on it. Yeah. The Holy Spirit abides in you. You have an anointing of the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised to every believer, John in his gospel gives us this promise. Now, this is his epistle. This is his letter. In his gospel, he says this in John 14, verse 15 through 17. He says this, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, isn't that simple? This is the words of Jesus. This is the words of Jesus to every one of us. And watch what Jesus says. And I will pray to the Father. And he will give you another helper. That word another in the Greek is alos. One who is just like me. You want to know what the Holy Spirit is like? He is just like Jesus. He'll have the character of Jesus. He'll have the actions of Jesus. He'll be just like Jesus. You know what that rules out? All the weird, all the strange stuff that has been attributed to the Spirit. He'll be just like Jesus that he may abide with you forever. Oh, he's the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him. Now notice all these, all these masculine words. He's, he's a he. He's a him. But you know him, for he dwells within you and will be in you. Look, at the Holy Spirit is a person, is a person. The third person of the Trinity he is not an it. He is not a substance. He is a person. You can't grieve a substance. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. Okay, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the, uh, of the Trinity is dwelling in you. The Holy Spirit abiding, making his home in you, he guards you, he guides you, teaches you, he comforts us, he seals us. Oh, that sealing is so important because that guarantees heaven for us. That, that, that is our inheritance. That's a, that is the engagement, so to speak, a promise. A promise to those who abide in him, are at home in him, in his word, is John 8, 31 and 32. Hear this. If you abide in my word, that's a third class if. That, that, that remains to be seen. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And listen to this. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Let's do that again. Free. Yes, right, free. This abiders can discern the truth. Now, when it says free, free from what? A free for all? A free? What is it a free from? It's free from Satan's clutches, free from the lies, free from the deception, and, free, and, and listen to this. It's, it's freedom from discouragement. It's freedom from discouragement. When a believer abides in God's word, and it's a requirement to, to avoid deception, they have the indwelling Holy Spirit that will guide them to the truth. The Holy Spirit witness. And you will not be deceived if you abide in this word, in the Spirit of God, 
is resonating within you. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. If a believer does not abide in God's word, and I would suggest that is the majority of the church today, because there are very few in the church that actually abide in his word. As a matter of fact, when you go to most churches, you don't even bring the word with you. You don't need it. You don't need it. People aren't abiding. You must abide in the word to not be deceived. So why, did, why, why do we say this? Well, in John 14, 26, it says this, He will teach you all things, the Holy Spirit, and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. In order to bring it to remembrance, it has to be in you. You've got to have a little bit of loaded gun here so you can bring it, to, bring it out when you need it to avoid the deception. So no matter how slick the deception, abide and know that you will not be deceived. If you abide in his word, and the Holy Spirit is abiding in you, you will not be deceived. Guarantee. Guarantee. Verse 28 and 29. Abide and know and not be ashamed. And I want to take some time with shame. Because we are living in a culture that is overwhelmed with shame. So we're going to develop that just a little bit. Verse 28 and 29. And now, little children, again, abide in him. And when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Let me say that again. Everyone who practices, that's your common way of life, is born of him. That's an evidence. That's an evidence that you're truly born again of the Spirit. So, let's go through this. Ashamed is disfigurement or disgrace. It's that awful feeling of shame. Now, I, you don't have to raise your hands, but I would suggest that everyone in this room has at some point felt that awfulness of shame. Shame. I've done something wrong, and it's shameful. It's shameful. Shame was the consequence of sin resulting in two things. You're going to see in just a second. As you turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, while I'm speaking, get a little head start. Get over there. Shame was the consequence of sin resulting in two things, fear and blame. So shame, fear, and blame go together. They go together. You must realize this. Shame and blame, denial, cover-up, and concealment, they are all from sin. So where did this all start? Right out of the gate. Right with humanity's start. The setting is the Garden of Eden. And yes, we believe there was a Garden of Eden. Yes, we believe there was an Adam and an Eve. Jesus spoke about this. This is true. Okay? So what happens in the garden? Adam and Eve are the only perfect humans that ever lived. They are made in the exact imago Dei, the image of God. They are in the perfect image of God. No sin nature. The only humans on earth with no sin nature outside of Jesus Christ. The only humans. They had the best shot at pulling this off. <laughs> we have no shot. We need a Savior. They needed to just simply walk with God because they were in a perfect state. And now they're going to be tested. Now watch what happens with the test. Do not eat. We had one prohibition. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't do it. When you do it, the moment you do it, you're going to die. Okay? So imagine Adam and Eve are going, die? What's die? 
because nothing ever died up to that point. And so what happens? The tempter comes, tempts the woman, and she falls, and her husband, who is right there with her, he eats of the, of the fruit, and they both go down. The consequence is this, verse 7. Now hear this. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. What does that mean? That means now they know sin for the first time. This perfect creation now knows sin. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves to cover up together and made themselves coverings. You know what they're doing? They're covering their shame. They're covering their shame. And they heard, watch this, and they heard in the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves. What does shame do? Shame covers up, and shame tries to hide. You watch it. You watch how people react. You watch somebody that, it, that it has a shameful disposition, and their face is down, or their face is covered, and they're hiding. That's what shame does. So walking in the garden to cool the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden, hiding behind anything, any of the trees. Then the Lord God called to Adam, who was the responsible one, and said to him, Where are you? Now, God knew exactly where he was, by the way. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid. That was the first fear that ever entered into humanity. Because I was naked, I was shamed, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat it? And the man said, Watch this. Now we have fear, we have shame. And it goes immediately into what, number three, doesn't it? Blame. Blame. Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the tree and I ate it. There's not an ounce of confession. Or there's not an ounce of repentance. They're just pointing to somebody else. That's what, that's what sin does. That's what shame does. And the Lord God said to the woman, what have you done? And then she blames the serpent. So it goes on and on. Blame. Blame. Over and over. Shame. Blame. Fear. Fear entered into this thing. So I want to share with you just a few insights into shame that I, that I was able to discover. Now, first of all, guilt and shame are not the same. So guilt and shame. Guilt is feeling bad about your behavior. Now, guilt is appropriate if you've done something wrong, your conscience has convicted you of it. Remember, conscience is this. C-O-N means with. Shunts means knowledge. We sin with knowledge. How do I know that? Because God has written his law on our hearts, and we know what is right and what is wrong. We know. We have a conscience that God has given us to help us not to go down those paths. So when we are guilty, conviction of wrong behavior comes, and the appropriate thing to do is immediately own it. Don't blame somebody. Don't put it off on somebody. Own it and confess it, repent of it, and move on. But shame is that ongoing feeling bad about yourself. I'm no good. I'm useless. I'll never get it right. I'm bad. I'm awful. And that is a wrong view of the way God views you. He does not view you that way. He does not view you that way. Where did shame come from? Well, we said it came from the garden. When sin entered into creation, it came with that. Sin resulted in separation, separation from God who loved, 
who loved Adam and Eve dearly, separated from the place, the perfect place he created for them. Out into the wild of the world they would be cast. Remember, they were cast out of the garden. And there was a cherubim set there so you can't get back in. I mean, if you're going out there where it's so awful, it was so much night, you're going to want to go back. There's a guard set. You can't go back. They were, they were sent out into the world to fend for themselves. Forever the shame of you did something horribly wrong, and nothing can be made right. That's what these folks were feeling. Shame says, that's why you need to hide. You're no good. You deserve to live in the, desert, in the darkness. Now look at the human way that we deal with shame is this. Withdrawal, withdrawal and addiction. We withdraw and we get addicted to something. Sometimes it's, it's, it's what we would call good stuff. People get, attack, get addicted to their work, busy activities, sports, exercise. Sometimes it's not so good. Sometimes it's substances. Sometimes it's sex. Sometimes, many times in our culture, it's eating disorders. And on it goes. Withdrawal into something that will dampen the shame but hurt the person. Dampens the shame but hurts the person. The voice of shame will tell us that we are our sin. And that is a lie. That is a lie. Or that we are, are, are the sins of others. Somebody's perpetrated on us and so we, a sin, so we live in shame. We must reorient our self-perception about the identity given to us by Christ. Counter the voice of shame. We must know that Jesus Christ makes us whole. He makes us healthy. He makes us whole. We're made new, that we're loved, we're forgiven, we're adopted as his children. He loves his children, even when we do wrong things. He loves us. He loves us implicitly. Now, it's important that we must know that we are forgiven and that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, Romans 8, 38 and 39. God values his children and he loves us. You must realize that in order to conquer the shame. And we must rehearse these truths. Know who you are in Christ. You do not have to live with shame. It is wrong to live with shame. You don't have to go down the shame road and hear that shrill accusation that you're worthless. No, sir, you are not. There was an empty cross that tells me you were not. There's an empty tomb, a new life, a reigning king. So yes, life in the wild in this world can be tough. Would you agree with that? Yes, it, yes, it is. Thank you. It can be tough. But we have a companion, a guide, a hope for a better city. We have a Savior that loves us who will never, ever, ever. That's five times what it says this. I will never, ever, ever, ever leave you nor forsake you. That's emphasis. The Bible shows us that we can live well in the wild because we know Jesus is leading us through it. He is our good shepherd. He's the one that walks beside us. He's the one that takes us to the still waters. Remember, the, the shepherd leads the sheep by the still waters. They can't take a rushing current. He gives us green pastures. And you know what? Jesus will take you all the way through to the valley of the shadow of death, where we will fear no evil, for thou art with me. That's our God. He is with us from the beginning. He's with us in the mud of the middle, and he goes all the way through this thing with us. We do not have to live with shame. You can be delivered. You can be delivered. So, yes, truly, Jesus is the antidote for shame. Abide in him. He is our treatment plan. He is our hope. He restores value and purpose. 
Don't allow a shallow substitute to drown out the voice of the master. Experience real relief by abiding in him. Amen. Our shame, fear, and blame eraser is abiding in him. If we abide in him, if we remain in him, when he appears, and folks, he will appear, we will not be ashamed. We will not be disfigured. And an overflow of abiding in him and not being ashamed is to share your faith. Romans 1.16 is so, so great, so great. It says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. In other words, I will share this word just like Jesus told me to in the Great Commission. I will do this. I am not ashamed of my Savior. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed, oh, from faith to faith. What does that mean? From saving faith to daily faith, to living out your faith. As it is written, the just or the righteous shall live by faith. I will trust you, Lord. Faith is trusting God through everything. I will trust in the Lord until I die. Until I die. Thank you. Thank you. Abide in him. Now, a side note on this. Just a side note. Kind of a rabbit trail here. Those who abide in him will not be ashamed at his coming. All humans will be judged. You must know this. All humans will be judged. Jesus will be the one who makes the determination. He's the one that died for us. All judgment is given to the Son. Those who reject Christ, those who say, I don't want you, Christ, I will follow my own way. Those who deny Christ, those who say, I will take my own road. I will get on the Hindu road or the Buddhist road. It's just a different road to the same God. Oh, no, there is one road and one way. Those folks, unfortunately, it's the worst, worst, worst outcome of deception, will end up at what the Bible calls the great white throne judgment. And the books will be opened, and they will be judged for what is, called, what is written in the books. That is Revelation 20, verse 11 through 15. Through 15. If your name is not found written in the book of life, and theirs won't be, they were cast into the lake of fire forever. That need not be. That is the tragedy of tragedies. God sent his son a love gift to rescue humanity. That, that place was not, hell was not made for humanity. It was made for the devil and his angels. We need not go there. God has provided us a way out of there. And we must realize that. So the great white throne judgment, hopefully none of you will be there. But it's different for believers, folks. Our sin was judged at the cross. It was judged at the cross. All of our sins were placed on Jesus. All of God's Father's wrath was placed on his Son. All the wrath that we deserve was placed on his Son. So what is the believer's judgment for if it's not for sin? Well, it's for rewards or loss of rewards. Rewards or loss of rewards. And while I'm speaking, if you would turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 through 15. Now that rewards, now try to listen as you're turning, that rewards is the word mythos, and it means wages, recompense, fruit naturally resulting from toil, rewards that God bestows. Now, we see this in Scripture as crowns. There are five crowns. I don't have time to develop that. 
but there are five crowns or rewards that will be given according to what you've done after you're saved for Christ. What works you have done post-salvation for Christ. Remember, your works don't get you into heaven, but there are rewards that he will give you. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 says this, No other foundation can anyone lay. Is that clear? No other foundation than that which is laid, which is in Christ Jesus. Remember, the apostles and the prophets are the foundation of the church. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone in Ephesians chapter 2. He's the one that squares the building. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, Jesus, with gold, silver, or precious stones, those things are refined by the fire, or wood, hay, or straw, those are burned up. Each one's work will become clear, for that day will declare it. What day is that? That is the Bema Seat Judgment Day. Because it will be revealed by fire, and fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Have you done it for Christ, or have you done it for yourself? Has it been phony baloney to get glory to yourself, or have you done it really for the Lord Jesus? And it will all be determined on that day. Now hear this. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through the fire. Don't turn there because you don't have time. But 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 says this. It's just a companion verse for the Bema Seat Judgment. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You know what that appear is? Laid bare, wide open, nothing hidden. That each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Rewards or loss of rewards. Hear this. John says in 1 John 2.28, And now, little children, abide in him. There will be no shame then and now for those who abide in him. At the Bema Seat judgment, there is no shame for those who are abiding in him. Hear this. The majority of Christians are not abiding in him. So there's going to be something different there for them. They suffer loss, and that suffer loss actually means to experience detriment, to experience regret. And that will be a moment of time when we're going to go, oh, Lord, I've wasted my life. I've wasted what you have given to me. Loss of rewards, missed opportunity, and they will know instantly what could have been. There is much, much, much to gain by faithful service to God. Those who practice righteousness, that would be verse 29 in 1 John, abide in him, are, tr are truly born of him, and can expect a huge, gracious welcoming into the kingdom of God with rewards. Remember, he is a rewarder. And he's such a wonderful rewarder that we are called joint heirs with Christ. You know what that means? That everything that Jesus has by divine right, we get through divine grace. Isn't that amazing? We are joint heirs with Christ. What a gift. God is generous. Generous. He'll be very generous to anyone who has served him. Those rewards are those growing. Those growing are those abiding. And those abiding can expect an abundant entrance into his kingdom. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 11 says this. Now this is after, remember the ladder that we had 
adding to your faith virtue, virtue knowledge, knowledge self-control. This is the maturing process. These are for people that are growing. And then he says this, For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Can't you just see it? An abundant entrance. I mean, I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be wonderful for those who have been all out for Christ. All out. Abide and not be ashamed. Allow Jesus to free you from your shame. And finally, in conclusion, abide and know that you have eternal life. It's not a guess. If you're abiding, you know that you have eternal life. But you must be abiding to know this. And abide and know and not be deceived. We have an anointing of the Holy Spirit that will guide, guard, and teach us, keep us from deception. Thirdly, abide and know and not be ashamed at his coming. Abide and, and no, no shame, no shame, then and now. You know, Jesus actually took our shame on the cross. You know that he was crucified naked, that he was spat upon, cursed upon, degraded. He took all of our shame upon himself on the cross so that we could live free. Free. We don't have to go down that road. James Montgomery Boyce talks about his coming. He has a quote here at the end that I'll share with you, but let me read to you what he said about this. His coming is mentioned 318 times in the New Testament. Jesus repeatedly mentioned that he's going to return. In John 14, he says, In my Father's house are many rooms, if it were not so, I would have told you, so he's going to prepare a place for us, and then he'll come back and take us to where he is. He's promised that. In Acts chapter 111, the angels, Jesus is ascending into heaven, and the disciples are blown away by him going up into heaven. And the angel says this words, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the, into the sky while well, he's going up? This Jesus has been taken up from you into heaven, will come just the same way as you have watched him go to heaven. He will come again bodily, folks. The question is, are we ready? Thought, James Montgomery Boyce, beloved, you can mark it down. What, who you are looking for will determine what, who you are living for. For every believer abiding in Christ, living out their faith day to day, you are in the wild. You are in this world, slugging it out day to day. No matter what comes, know this truth. Jesus is coming, and we do not have to live with shame on this side. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 7 says this, For the Lord God will help me. Isn't that great words? The Lord God will help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. I'll set my face like a flint. I will set it directly at the Lord Jesus. I will set at his path and know that I will not be ashamed. Now, let me suggest to you, if you want to know whether you're abiding or not abiding, hear this. If you're walking in fear, then you're not abiding. If you're walking with a life full of anxiety, you're not abiding. If you have worry that's controlling you, you're not abiding. And if you're trying to control every little aspect of your life, making everything perfectly right as you see it, you're not abiding. You haven't given it over. To abide in Christ is to trust in Christ no matter what, saying, I trust you. Those who abide in Christ know the truth and are made free and not ashamed. This is.
the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for giving us your Word. Thank you that you've given us the great hope of our Lord, that we will not be deceived, and we will not be ashamed, and we will stick with your Word, and we will trust in you until you take us home. Lord, may we walk this out in the wild, where we are in the wild, through your strength and through your power. We can do nothing on our own. We can only do anything through your power and through your strength. Help us to lean on you, Lord. Become less dependent upon myself and fully dependent on you. Thank you for this time that we've given us to study your word. In Jesus' name, amen.